to The Bent Tines. I'm Catherine. And I'm Matthew. Today we're joined by Ryan from Kenro Industries, a distributor focused on fine writing instruments who carries brands like Aurora, Montegrappa, and Esterbrook, among others. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, guys. Hey. How are you doing today? Cheers. So Great. glad to have you. Cheers. <laughs> As I'm drinking coffee. I'm okay. Drinking coffee. Yeah. I just had it's a bunch of coffee, of so... <laughs> It's been one of those days with bedtime and, you know, kids and all that sort of stuff. So I am uh, living on like these little cold brew cans that I get from uh, from the local food store. And that's what nice. that's like my my last coffee for the night. <laughs> nice. I love that. Well, that's what we had Drew Brown on a couple um, episodes ago, and he makes coffee at about 9 p.m. every night. So it must be a people in the pen industry all have their days and nights all a little wonky, I guess, huh? Dang, Hashtag I did not know life. that you guys had I did not know that you had Drew Brown on. He's one of my faves. I gotta now check I'm that episode out. Doing now. Later. Yeah, now you're gonna get another <laughs> listen. He yeah, his um his episode was a lot of fun. He's a he's a fun guy. Yeah, I have to say he's he's a pretty genuine guy. You know, we've we've met there each is. other kind of just like a handful of times but kind of communicated back channel on, you know, Instagram. Um I just think he's one of those people that uh, actually likes this stuff and, and happens to do it for a living, too, so that it comes across in his work. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> and that's what I think, you know, we love about our community is there's so many people in this community who are doing it as a job, but just like that's almost secondary. Like they just do it because they love it and it happens to support them, which I think is so cool. Yeah, because I think a lot of times what, what ends up happening is people do it as a hobby first. Mm-hmm. And then they like start to make a little bit of money from it, but they also have to work, you know, they're moonlighting. They have to work their full-time job. And then eventually it becomes a position where they say, I love this. I can do this full time. And that yeah. uh, segues into a full-time gig. I mean, think about how many people we know that, that have done that recently. I mean, mm-hmm. Brad Dowdy made that switch. Uh, Dan yeah. at the Nibsmith made that switch. I mean, these were all yeah. guys that were part-timing and all of a sudden uh, turned it That's on. That's their job. Yeah. I wish I could get uh, pens to support me, but I'm really bougie. <laughs> so I don't think pens will ever support my lifestyle enough, unfortunately. You're like, that's the hard part. My pen yeah. habit can, can't even keep up with my pen habit. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's awesome. Shoot. I mean, that's how I feel, though. So anyway, so what's new? What's new with you guys? You want to go first, Matthew? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I can, I can, I can go first. Um, Matthew's so got a lot of new things going on. I do. Um, I, just, I mean, busy at work as as always. Uh, got a new office at work recently. Kind of got a bigger a bigger office. Um, and uh, but but the big the one big new thing is that my Space Cat Retro is launching real real soon. So what we're gonna do? Um, the official launch is May the 10th at noon, uh, but we're going to open it a little early for podcast listeners. So we're going to give early access on Friday, May the 7th for anybody who listens to the podcast. So you can go to heymatthew.com forward slash shop. That's a forward slash, right? Um, yeah. Whatever. Heymatthew.com slash shop, uh, and it will be password protected, and the password... Um, is catnip, all one word, <laughs> which 
<laughs> which is, I mean, felt appropriate. Um, yes. You can still get accessories and stuff through rickshaw, um, sleeves and koozie cases and whatnot. I mean, he has the designs. So he can pretty much print it on any product he sells, I think, at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and uh, yeah, so um, keep the password quiet to kind of maximize your chances of getting one, I guess, and uh, see on the see on the seventh. And then um, I'm hoping that the pens will get here next week uh, before they go on sale. But if not, they will ship out the week of May seventeenth. So, um, so you, they may there may be a little a little delay there on shipping. But um, I'm gonna try to I'm trying to I'll get post- them. Yeah, I'll post updates on the Bent Tines Instagram about shipping and everything with that. But yeah. yes, keep it keep it quiet. This is our thank you to our listeners. So if we are able to keep this private, people will have the whole weekend to get their orders in before the feeding frenzy of May tenth. <laughs> yeah, totally buying one of those. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> that's I awesome. A, I, think it's I literally. In between, in between our like initial conversation and now, I have secured a pink robot. Have um, you? So will be so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have my sources. I cannot reveal them, but uh, <laughs> I now have the I now have the bump and and the pink robots to be in my collection soon. So That's awesome. I guess I gotta get that one. <laughs> I feel awesome. bad after you told us what you went through to acquire your bump in the night. I f- I feel so bad. Like, well, I feel like the story is. The story is half of it, right? Isn't that isn't right. that part of the hunt? Like, is it mm-hmm. would it be would it be a little lame if I was just like hey, reached out to you guys and was like, I want to be on your podcast, by the way. Could you hook me up with a pen? Like that would just be so lame. So like I just feel like it's so much better <laughs> that like I had to sell like three of my children and like <laughs> My children, was, he means it quite the, I've been finding like I don't see them coming up for sale really very much. I think the people who ended up with their bumps have been very much hoarding them lately. Yeah. And there's that one guy on, on eBay that's like cray cray with his price, but like, that's like the earmark that everyone is like, Holy cow. You know, that helps like, that's like that kind of like inflates things a little bit with like these eBay guys who put things up there at crazy prices. I mean, I know when, when Omos went out of business, I remember there was like some back channel talk that someone kind of like, faked an auction on a 360 uh arco pen that went for like four grand and you're talking about a pen that retailed for fifteen hundred dollars right and like all that i remember that minute being like a game changer where everyone went on like this like almost feeding frenzy and then like really you would see like a, a regular paragon go for double over retail and i mean wow we know that that doesn't happen that often so uh ebay is a little bit of a a tricky operator. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's interesting that you, you bring that up because someone brought up maybe in maybe on Facebook and the retro group might have been must have been the retro group, but about you know somebody said, "Hey, I've got this." I don't think it was a bump; it was something else. They're like, you know, what's it worth? And somebody's like, "Oh, I think it's worth this. I think it's worth this." And then somebody said, "It's worth whatever someone's willing to pay." And so you know, and that's where I think some of these folks, you know, they're, I mean, they're putting stuff out there at crazy prices. Like someone at one time had a bump on eBay for like $699. And I mean, it was their photos of it. So I assume, I mean, and I don't, I don't think it sold. Um, but I mean, take a shot if somebody's willing to pay that for it. I mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I like, 
<laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's whatever someone's willing to pay. And so, but but I, I do think you run into people inflating um, prices sort of artificially. Yeah. Um, even, yeah. I, this, I mean, this has happened in the watch world a little bit um, where people are bidding on their own auctions to drive the price up. Um, and it hap- it's, I've seen Very it happen much. in the pen rolled. It's happened um, like in the camera world. I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm into, I mean, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's people inflating their own auction prices with artificial bids, either from themselves using a different account or a friend or a family member. So it's, it's always interesting to see. And I don't know, I'm always surprised too at what, what stuff will sell for. I mean, some of those, like Tobaldi, the Imperio Celluloid, that gray blue stuff, Holy crap! I mean, that stuff will go for like eight hundred bucks a rod. Without, I mean, not even a pen. Mm-hmm. Like a, a, no, a yeah, like, I know. Like a ten inch rod of material to make a pen will go for yeah crazy hundreds of dollars. It's it's nuts. It's wild. Yeah, we were we were we were in Italy about uh, maybe a little over a year right before the pandemic happened. I was in I was in Monte Grappa, and the CEO of Monte Grappa, Giuseppe, had said that he was meeting with a gentleman who claimed to had had a bunch of old Tabaldi celluloid. So like my ears were immediately like, yeah. does he have any Imperio? And he's like, he says that he does. So I like promptly follow it up, which is Epi the next day to kind of find out, like I was instantaneously like, how do I get that celluloid? How do I get you to make me whatever kind of pens you can? And apparently <laughs> the guy had like some like really warped beat up rods that were just like unworkable. But I mean, that stuff is so precious and so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, I was at Jonathan Brooks' house one time, and he pulled out, um, you know, like, it's probably like maybe two feet worth or something. So, like, enough for, <laughs> enough for like, two pens. A couple pens, yeah. And, like, yeah. you know, maybe could get three pens out of it if he was real careful. You know, he was like, hey, I just don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't know if I should auction it off or, like, turn a couple of pens and auction them off to give people a fair chance of getting one or, you know, raffle, whatever, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, you know, you could do, like, a custom run and do, like, an all-black pen or, like, a clear pen and do, like, Tobaldi grip sections or Tobaldi, like, finial or a Tobaldi, like, cap band of some sort just so that you could, you know, maybe get, like... 50 pens out of the deal with a Tabaldi because I think Franklin Christoph did that a few years ago with yeah with like a model two or did something they? um and I think yeah. the cap finial that screws on I think it was Tabaldi um mm-hmm. and that was like kind of a super cool way to use some of that material to sort of stretch it so that people get a piece of it um I don't know I it's a super cool material I'd I would love I would love a pen made out of it but probably won't ever see that so I mean, we'd we'd probably have to like know somebody, honestly. I mean, I know somebody's got some, but he won't come up off of it, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't afford it if he would come uh, off. If it. you're listening, Jonathan, uh, shoot me a text and let's see what we can come up with. Matthew's turning forty in a couple years. So. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh, you got to start planning. Put my age on blast, now. man. I'm Golly. sorry. Was that a secret? It's not yet. You're not forty yet. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Bring out your dad. You just have to start planning now because, you know, it's got to be epic, right? Like, I assume we're just going to throw a giant party for all of your pen friends, right. too. So. We'll do that. In a couple of years, everybody we'll will be pen, ready. We'll have a pen show for my 40th. 
Sweet. That'd be fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Bent Tines pen show. <laughs> one one time only. <laughs> right. Just just Okay, but for real, like let's make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. deal. Let's promise. <laughs> okay. So anyways, let's get into like asking you questions, Ryan. So All the right. first question is the one we ask everyone. How did you get into fountain pens? Mine is a little bit, I guess, of an unusual story because I kind of fell into it a little bit by accident. Um, Thinking uh, it must have been probably right out of college, uh, I I took my first job as a subprime mortgage underwriter um, and Mm -hmm. am, I guess, indirectly responsible for the whole 2008 crash. So don't, uh, I'm sorry Uh for that, everybody. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, <laughs> I, I had seen the writing on the wall that the, the company that I was working for actually countrywide at the time was, was going out of business. Um, and I was actually just kind of submitting applications to business school. Um, so I found myself kind of looking, you know, at a company that was, that was about to go out of business. Um, I found myself kind of just starting business school and, and uh, happened across Kenro Industries as like an internship through, uh, Hofstra University, is, which was where I was attending. Um, so started there and kind of uh, replaced a guy that had been there for a year and kind of started in like the pick pack ship um, department. Um, and really, I had no intentions of, you know, staying there long term. I remember they even at one point were, were like trying to uh, coax me to like quit graduate school so I could, you know, maybe go, go to more pen shows. And if you remember, well, you guys might not remember, but pen shows were very different, you know, 13, 14 years ago. Um, they were a little bit, a little bit more sleepy. Um, so I started going to some pen shows and, uh, I guess over the long term, I just really fell in love with pens. It, it, it wasn't like love at first sight though. It took a, it took a, it took a little while. It's interesting when you say. Um, it's interesting you say that you know pen shows were used to be sleepy, and, and it's. Um, I've spoken. I you know I, my first pen show was maybe like 2014 or something like that, so fairly recent. Um, and you know, but from what I understand, pen shows from you know 15, you know 13 whatever years ago were a lot of kind of the like. I try like I mean I mean this like respectfully, but like the old timers, like the guys that had these huge collections, and they were it's more like a swap meet than like a like a retail thing, right? So it was like people buying, selling, trading, sort of like harder to find pieces and stuff. Is that and so? Yeah, I feel like I feel like it was it was it it, you, it was at that point more or less two types of customers. It, it was that definitely that swap meet going on, um, and I think. The part that the part that I didn't love about that was sometimes the, you know, looking down on you know the level of knowledge that you had um, from from those kind sure. kinds of guys, um, not all of them but some of them, um, and then there were also the ego kind of guys that were just looking to buy limited editions. At that point, limited edition pens were really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we would get a new limited edition in the states, and we had you know. 30 or 40 customers that would buy limited edition pens and they all had special numbers and, you know, all sorts of things like that. I think the limited edition market has kind of, you know, moved more to a user-friendly limited edition, maybe like an Aurora 88 or something, mm-hmm. instead of like these like Glamour, you know, Omos, uh, St. George or Enamel pens and mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So there was really just like a bunch of 
guys who were looking to just hang out with their friends, and then there was a bunch of guys just trying to like spend as much money as possible to look as cool as possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was not it was not what it's not like at at all now. No, I think no, there's been a all. transition too over the years, at least in the last. You know, f- again, from what I understand, um, with the with the guys that were into the more vintage stuff and the older stuff and the more collectible stuff, you know, rather than looking down on you know these like new folks that were coming in, you know, I think they st- sort of started to realize that those new folks that didn't know a lot were their bread and butter like they were the ones that were going to be buying the pins because yeah you know and so i think there's been a transition where now it's you know um i remember in atlanta a few years ago i went and i stopped off at a table and i picked up a uh an older parker dual fold um mandarin uh like kind of the uh that with the mandarin yellow i think was the color mm-hmm. that it was sure and i was kind of looking at it and the guy was like do you know what that is and i said well i know it's a parker dual fold so i've really been looking for an orange one but you know i was like this yellow is kind of cool he's like well the yellow is like one of the more rare ones and he he i mean for like 30 minutes he gave me this lecture almost not <laughs> not in a bad way but like yeah i mean he just like vomited this insane amount of information about Parker dual folds on me. And when I got done, I was like, like shit, I don't have $600 for this pen, but I feel like I should probably buy it from him. Like, or like at least leave like a tip on the table for like the seminar, you know, like, you know, I think all of Um, us are, are just like one wrong question away from a 30 minute word vomit session to any new person (laughs) to our community. I didn't. So you really got into pens because you just ended up working for Kenro. Yeah. It's funny. That's, so, so wild. you didn't go to work for Kenro because you loved pins. That's interesting. No, and I even remember, I remember even telling my, my girlfriend at the time that, uh, that like I went, one of my first pen shows, someone came up to the table and saw me as like, I was really one of the only young people really at the show. At that point, if you remember, well, I, I must've been, you know, 23, 24 years old. Um, so someone came up to me and was like, how did you get this job? You are so lucky. And I didn't see it that way at the time. And I remember being like telling that to my girlfriend and she was like, what the heck? Like, what? <laughs> like someone, like, I don't know. I don't know. I just like, this, I need a, a paycheck. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're like lucky, huh? Here, I'll give you 20 bucks. Watch the table. I'm going to go to the bar and grab a drink. Yeah, that's a, that was it. <laughs> Meanwhile, like at this point, like I think both of us would be happy to work in a job that would pay us to go to all the pen shows and stuff like that's a cool job. But I guess you're right. Like the community has grown and changed a lot in the last 15 years, too. And I mean, you've been you've been witness to that, which is kind Mm -hmm. of neat. Yeah, I I mean, I I really uh, love that perspective because and and really most of the people at Kenro Industries have been there for a while. That's kind of what makes us so you know, so great is that most people, I'm still probably one of the newer employees uh, and having been there 15 years. I mean, Brian Hulser has been there. um, I don't know, maybe 30 years. Uh, We have two girls in the office that have been there longer um, and we're all still really young. So, uh, you know, it's nice to have that perspective and see how things are changed. And I think it's part of what makes me appreciate the community so much now and love this job even more now is just, 
you know, knowing what it was and knowing how it's evolved and my relationships with some of my retailers who are now 15 years I've known them for, um, wow. I think is pretty, pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's a different perspective to have having started that at such a young age, like relatively, you know, like you've mm-hmm. been right. with this community for a long time, mm-hmm. that's, which that's is funny. so cool. And somehow we don't know each other. We've not. So I don't know Ryan, <laughs> which is like super bums me out. And I cannot wait to get back to Penn shows so we can like have a drink and meet in person. Cause I think oh, that man, would DC, be so fun. DC is on. Are you guys planning on going to DC? I think I'm working. Uh, how do you know that you're working already? <laughs> oh, my schedule is done and firm through June of 2022. My schedule is done. Oh, so if the pen right. shows could just um, take my Work schedule and plan around. around mine, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> when is DC? When is DC? That's in... It's going to be the, f- the first weekend in August. First week. um, so I think that's like the 6th and 7th and 8th. Yeah, yeah I'm impatient that week. Dang it! I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually look right now. I'm actually free that weekend, and DC's close enough. I could maybe drive up. So, are you gonna go to DC without me? I mean, if you're working, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Put life on hold. <laughs> just Venmo me, I'll and just... I'll get you whatever you want from the show. Okay. Sounds good. I think you're gonna need get, to get, get me get something some from, the from the table. Ken Rowe table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think Jinx. I think DC's only like six hours away from me, so we're gonna go to Chicago. We are okay. for sure going to Chicago, so yeah. So we can't get into Chicago because for us that show has always been like so vintagey and we kind of maybe dragged it's our feet cool a little now. too long. I know it is, but we dragged oh, our feet on it really long and we can't get into it. <laughs> Uh, and I know, I know Roger, I know Roger Wooten, the, the planner pretty well. Um, but I don't like to be that guy that's like, let us in, you know, someone else has got to yeah. lose their table. So, you know, it is what it is. I think Carrie from my company might just go to kind of like be part be of the there. community. He'll be there. Yeah. But I, w- sure. I won't be there. It's a fun show. I could see like it, it's even in the last like few years because I've been that's like my like home show because it's three hours from me and even in the last few years it's become less vintagey it was like quite vintagey when I first started going yeah Um, yeah yeah, for sure which is cool but you know I I like um I actually when I so it's like a funny thing when I started with fountain pens I had a handful of modern pens but I actually predominantly collected and bought vintage pens because i thought it was like lame to buy modern pens Mm -hmm. because like there wasn't the hunt i'm using air quotes because like obviously we know that's not true (laughs) but i was like oh like vintage pens are way better than modern pens and now like i don't need a vintage table to exist at a show because i can like find those (laughs) like i mean it's nice like i i love jesse rain's like esther brooks table because i love all those little tiny esther brooks the the little baby guys um the like yeah like the the pastel like purse mm-hmm. pens actually are my favorite yeah. so hey can you take this back to the people of esterbrook now can can you guys come out with a purse pen <laughs> like a little tiny purse pen we're trying no. to, we're working we're working on something we're working on something <laughs> ryan's like oh my gosh <laughs> no <laughs> i'm actually uh pretty pretty seriously involved in all of the product development we basically have like a core group of four of us that make all of all of those decisions 
That's awesome. Uh, so it, whenever, when I, I, I truly actually appreciate all of those kind of like thoughts and feedback because it helps, it helps kind of formulate our, our decisions. And I think that's why Estabrook or, or I guess you would call it the third launch of Estabrook, you know, the, uh, right. the Kenro era, um, mm-hmm. has been so successful is because we bring a lot of passion to the table and that's, yeah. that's been part of like what, you know, makes us successful. I think it's like such a unique um, experience. So for those of you who don't know, Estabrook is a beloved vintage pen company that existed in the, you know, 40s and the 50s. And some of the pens that I love to collect are little tiny purse pens from Estabrook. They're tiny and they're pastel Mm -hmm. colors. And they had these nurse pens, which I totally need to find one that were white. They were super cute. But then the the brand died and was owned by somebody else and the the creation of Esther books in that era were not great. And then somehow Kenro acquired the brand and has relaunched it and reformulated it and brought it into the modern era um, with modern materials and more of a modern shape that's a little bit larger than the original Esther books, but there's an adapter so you can actually put the original Esther book nibs into <laughs> it. I mean, it's it's a really cool thing that you guys have done. And Estherbrook, the vintage Estherbrook nib. I mean, they made the vintage like they're so good. fifty nibs or something, right? Like two two hundred and fifty. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay, crazy. yeah, so I was way off. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, but like everything from like an extra fine to like stubs, calligraphy nibs, flex nibs, manifold nibs. I mean like crazy. Yeah. yeah. They had a they had like a nib or a little variety of a nib for even different job roles. They had like an accounting nib. They yeah. don't really know 100% what that was, but they they had a nib called the Greg. Like they had like all these like little I mean they had a whole catalog um, of nibs. It's unreal. The the accounting nibs were if I remember right were similar to like the the posting nibs that you oh, get. Right, yeah. to write through and all the layers so, of carbon paper. Yeah, yeah to yeah, right through and and also super fine clean lines on like an accountant's ledger, which is a you know pretty small. Um, but yeah, yeah, I I didn't realize it was two fifty. I, I was thinking somewhere like between like fifty and a hundred, <laughs> but I, yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, and I don't know, I don't know that they were the first company to create like a modular pen system in that way but i mean to be able to unscrew a nib and screw a new one in um but yeah no i mean that was that was pretty cool i mean even if you look back at the history a couple of the interesting facts are that estabrook was actually i think the fourth or fifth u.s trademark in american history um so you're talking about a company that started in 1858 um and during their hey yeah during their heyday um, I mean, you go through history and you can really talk about some enthusiasts. I mean, we really, there's, there's like rumors that Abraham Lincoln only used an Estabrook. I mean, you're talking about Abraham Lincoln. Like, it's like, what? that just like blows my mind a little bit. Um, you know, Charles Schultz, who's the, uh, you know, the Peanuts narrator mm-hmm. is a, a tremendous enthusiast. Apparently he only drew Peanuts with Estabrook pens. He just loved the nibs. Uh, Donald Druck, Donald Duck was exclusively drawn with an Estabrook nib. Um, JFK. I mean, if you go through the list, I mean, we just really have some serious, serious uh, enthusiasts. Um, and I think in their heyday, they were making something like three million pens a year in Camden, New what? Jersey. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That's why you go to the pen shows in America, and these these J pens are so like plentiful. Like, well, that, that and that's one, one of, like, of the things too is they're 
they're reliable, they're easy to repair, and they're affordable. Yeah. So they're a great they're a great way to get into vintage pens yeah. without getting into some like super finicky pen that needs like yeah. weird parts like shellacked back in the play. I mean, they're pretty repairable even now, and they're because the nibs are easily swappable, and the nibs are cheap. I mean, the nibs aren't that much so more good. than like. A modern like Yovo unit. Yeah, I mean, you're you get, get well. Them. You're getting you could get a nib for like five bucks, Matthew. That's kind of yeah. like well, well, yeah. So and really, and, even even a pen like you you should be able to buy a J pen for a sub. You know, as long as you're not getting like a highly collectible one that that's you know crazy. But I mean, under fifty dollars, I would think you oh, get, you get yeah. a pen to go for. Like that, I feel like that's a pretty good value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact yeah. that you guys have been able to like resurrect the brand and like bring it into the modern era and like keep that alive is super neat. Um, I know like a lot of the questions we have, I'm going to skip and we'll come back to them. But while we're talking about it, can you sort of talk about some of the challenges and um, kind of things that you've had to do because Kenro does actually manufacture the brand in-house as opposed to distributing them? Can you talk to that about about that a little? I think I think our biggest challenge is really learning, learning how to be a manufacturer for so many years. Our our focus was really on distribution. So, you know, think about think about what that is. It's it's. uh, you know, a brand comes and hands you all the marketing material, tells you to pretty much go sell this pen. Um, you, of mm-hmm. course, have some feedback. I mean, we we had plenty of times where we would, you know, inspire Monte or inspire Omos or Aurora to come out with a product that was, you know, specific for our market. But for a large portion of the time, you're looking at a marketing plan and basically um, figuring out when you want to sell that, you know, knowing your customers. And, and in a way, that's a little bit of an easier job than really starting completely from square zero um designing a pen figuring out you know the costs associated with that timelines um you would be surprised how difficult finding unique materials is i have to say i thought that at one point i thought that was going to be our greatest challenge because you know mm-hmm. you don't want to just do i mean there's so many you know you can go to china and get acrylic i mean that's what everybody right. does and i don't we didn't, we never wanted to be that so um, mm-hmm. sourcing high quality materials. I mean, you'll see, you know, our diamond cast and we're constantly trying to evolve and find new materials, um, finding good manufacturing partners, finding reliable nibs. Um, I think really the, the, the blanket statement is learning how to become a manufacturer, I think has really been our biggest challenge. Um, yeah. and I think we've gotten quite good at it for just a short time period, which is only three years. Um, oh wow! It's only been yeah, it's, <laughs> and the review the reviews are um, at, at least since uh, Kenro at least since Kenro has taken over Esterbrook. Um, I mean, the reviews have been great. I mean, you guys have mm-hmm. you know been really well received. I know you know year a couple of years ago when the other company bought out Esterbrook, it was not very well received. Um, and so you guys, I mean, whatever you're doing, it seems like you're doing it right. So that, I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to see, it's kind of cool to see that it's so well received. Um, yeah. You know. That's part of it for us, I think, is being, being part of the community. We, we, we are part of the community, you know, even though mm-hmm. we technically, right. you know, profit from it. I, you know, I know that sometimes there, you lose a little bit of uh, your authenticity when you, when you're actually, you know, doing this as a job, but um I have, you know, if you look at my table, I have fountain pens all over that place that I spent right. my, my money on, you know? So I think, yeah. uh, that's, 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 uh, you know, that's myself, that's Carrie, that's Brian. Uh, we, we, we love it. 
in addition to, you know, working in it. So um, I think that helps us out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, every, everybody has, does something they, they make money on. Right. So I sell Mm -hmm. the occasional retro 51 or stickers or little prints or whatever. And I mean, I'm, I love the community and I mean, there's an opportunity there for me to get a little return on my time and investment in the community. And, and, you know, I'm thankful for that. And, um, you know, I, th- I don't think anybody would fault you guys for being capitalists and, and making money doing something that you love. Cause I think that's the really important part is that you're doing this because you love it. Um, versus, you know, some multinational corporation that just saw an opportunity to buy a famous brand and maybe make a few bucks overnight off of it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. cause, Cause that's what, that's what typically happens with some of these older brands that get resurrected you know, is mm-hmm. that it's, you know, it's like Kodak. How many times has Kodak been bought and sold over the last 40 years? And every time it gets bought and sold, it gets it gets bought and sold in some way that dilutes the brand even further. Right. And so they are so far away. I mean, other than the film stocks that they still make, they're so far away from where they came from that it's they're not even the same company anymore. That the company, the part of Kodak that makes film isn't even the same company that is, has their name slapped all over a bunch of digital cameras and like mm-hmm. junk electronics, you know, it's just. But like for what it's worth, I hope nothing ever happens to Portra 800 because I think I would die if that film went away. <laughs> <laughs> we lost por- we lost Fuji 400H as a film stock this year and I'm not emotionally ready for Kodak to lose any film. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, so I think you're right, Matthew. And, and also, um, I just want to put it out there that I don't know how much longer we can keep up this interviewing people from distributors because all it does is make me want to buy pens I've never had before. Right. I've never had an Esterbrook, and I can tell you that since we talked and now, I've looked at Esterbrooks and have a couple on my list. I've been scoping out Esterbrooks and Auroras, and it's really bad. I really uh, shouldn't be allowed to talk to distributors because they're like, oh, you need this new pen. Have you seen the new Odo Hotline? And I'm like, dang it! <laughs> so this is basically just the podcast of like how all the distributors swindle me out of my money. That's exactly it. I'm not mad about it, though. I promised promised my boss I would sell at least one to two pens on this podcast directly to you guys, so... I'll text hey. you after. I got but, my eyeballs But serious, but serious. If the price, is, if the price is right, tell them we're, we're down to buy, you know. Hey. What, what's, the, what's the pen, what's the podcast guest discount? Add $10 is the discount. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited, though, for it. And I think, like, I'm super stoked to see where you guys go. Because I know even just recently you've added the Diamond Cast to the Esther books. Yeah. And that's... A, a material that I've had in a custom pen or two. Um, I've had some diamond cast stuff, and I think they're just so cool. So I think that's really neat that you were able to bring that to a mass market. Not really mass market, but you know what I mean, like a larger produced yeah. pen as opposed to like a single one-off. It's funny you say that, Katie, because that, that's kind of like we, we, we talk uh, at Kenra a lot about like our why and like why we exist. Um, mm-hmm. and that, that's one of the things that I think has always been at like the forefront, forefront of my mind is how to bring the small scale passion to, I guess, a larger scale manufacturing, which we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're by no means like a tremendous company. Right. I mean, I think we're, we're still small in, in, uh, in our aspirations, but, um, you know, 
I love the way that, like, a Heinz pen company can use, like, a Juma material and make, like, pink right. nibs and forget whether, you know, the quality is 100%, you know, ironed out in, like, you know, that plating, is it going to stay on the nib long term? Who, who really knows? But I just love the fact that he's so, like, nimble that he can try and experiment and do mm-hmm. do this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, some of those things have presented, you know, serious challenges, you know, but we really wanted to try to find ways to do this kind of stuff. Um, Diamond Cast is a good example. Um, yeah. Our partnership with Custom Nib Studio, where we have our, our journaler nib, um, is mm-hmm. another example, you know, trying to, trying to offer more nib sizes where I don't, I don't know, like, it's not like we're, we have a stock nib, but we're definitely trying to diversify our offerings. Um, we have a nib coming out in late May with this, which is a partnership with, uh, Josh Lax. Um, and it's going to be like a modified architect nib. Um, so I'm super excited nice. for that to hit the market. Um, and You're just, these are the speaking, kinds of like, speaking to me, <laughs> <laughs> these are the kinds of like, I think like small micro brand philosophy trying to scale that yeah. into a little bit of a bigger business um is really uh it's really been like our aim yeah but i think that like the esterbrook brand and and by way of that like kenro you know it does feel like a micro brand without it really being truly a micro brand which is cool mm-hmm. um you know, you get a little bit more of that QC and a little bit more of that consistency and everything that you'd expect from like a larger scale, but it feels like it's still small. And like for me, and I know Matthew, we love like micro brands and stuff. So it's kind of like this cool, weird niche that you've created for yourselves, which I think is really neat. Yeah, I love that. That's actually, that's it perfectly describes what, what we've been trying to do. <laughs> yeah, this is, I'll just word vomit your whole mission. Yeah. <laughs> so, so kind of piggybacking off of that, um, what's the, you know, Kenro is more than just Esterbrook. What's the most underrated brand that you think you carry at Kenro? I gotta say that it's probably our newest ad, which is Otohut. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it's it's mainly because I don't think many people know their history. I mean, I know when we had our, our informal chat, um, we talked a little bit about how Odo Hut's been around for a hundred years, a little bit over a hundred years now. And they've been kind of like on the sidelines manufacturing products for some of the biggest names in the world. Mont Blanc, Faber-Castell, um, some jewelry companies. Um and you, you think that this is like a new and upcoming brand when you start to hear about it. And now, you know, in the States, really, we're getting a lot of retailers to jump on board. Um, and then you find out that Otohut has a hundred year history, um, over 70 employees making every single part of the pen in-house except for the nib, which is also German made. Um, so uh, I think as people start to learn that story a little bit more, they will start to appreciate Otohut more and more. Um, that's, I think... Clear as day, the most underrated brand, I think, in our portfolio at the moment. And you mentioned the designer is somebody, too? Right. Okay, so um, the designer for a couple of the collections, which would actually be the Design C, uh, the Design 7, and now the newly introduced Design 8, is a gentleman by the name of Mark Braun. um, And he is actually a famous industrial designer, uh, and, and has worked and really, is, I guess, made his name designing watches for Nomos, which is uh, a really cool watch brand, I guess is the best way to describe it, with like a, a simple, clean aesthetic, um, but really 
magnificent timepieces. You can find him at markbraun.org, M-A-R-K-B-R-A-U-N. Um, so I did a little bit of research on him after we had our little conversation because you had mentioned him, and I couldn't remember his name, but then I I Googled, like, you know, designer of Nomos watches and some stuff. And he's done some, like, crazy stuff. Like, he's done some furniture, and his stuff's real kind of just industrial and cool. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> he's got, he's very much got a style. And uh, mm-hmm. it is, uh, it's a style that I'm quite fond of. Um, <laughs> also and fond of like, that super big fans of Nomos watches and um yeah this is this is a brand that I I legitimately had heard of but had didn't even know existed in the US mm-hmm. and now that I've seen it um there are like f- five or six that, that I want <laughs> so I'm gonna have to just like I'm gonna have to get your perspective on like where to even start because um so when we we chatted with Ryan last week um Matthew and I were like looking and of course Matthew's favorite was um the most expensive and it was in the nice. comic club no. but like okay we're not gonna like launch into it the comic club are you laughing at that how I'm calling it I like that but like where is like where's a good place to start? I'm asking because I'm interested. Where sh- where's a good where should someone who's interested in learning about this brand and starting out with this brand start? I think design design four in my opinion is really the best everyday mm-hmm. writer. You know, you can get a moderately priced steel nib um, in you know I think around you know three hundred dollar range, or you could get an eighteen karat gold nib uh, for you know four to five hundred dollars. Um, which I know is a little bit um, higher than some of like you know your starter starter pens um you know by comparison but uh for Odo hut i think completely german made pen um i think it's pretty fair and some of the work that they do the the guillosh technique um the wave happens to be one of my favorite um but design four i would say is pretty safe uh great starter pen yeah i may or may not have just clicked on the white and white and rose wave <sighs> Ooh, that that is the best seller yeah, and of their like kind of slightly less expensive um, pens, the honeycomb pattern on the O2 is a pretty mm-hmm. cool pen as well. Yeah, I think that the price the price on that is I mean those those are completely sterling silver, so it's really nice for gifting. Um, but uh, th- those are like under three hundred bucks. Are really uh, that's the retail price. Yeah, two twenty ish. Like street retail, price ends up being pretty, pretty good. Yeah, so they're cool pens. It, this is like my favorite thing because I've learned about so many like brands that are huge globally, but like have not really hit my radar in the U.S. You know, mm-hmm. through talking to you and Bryce and everything, and it's just really fun, and I love that. So, um, I think yeah. it's important you- to kind of broaden your horizons, right? You should have yes. you should have something that you like want to focus in on your collection. I know for you, it's it's Nakaya. Um, I'm a huge fan of Nakaya. But I think it's nice to know about the other the other brands too, and it kind mm-hmm. of helps like helps form your taste, I think, a little bit better. Sure. Yeah, and I think I don't want to completely pigeon my pigeonhole myself into any one brand because, like, yes, I love Nokia, but I know how those are going to write, and I have like enough of them, you know, that it's worthwhile. I think to have variety, and mm-hmm. it's worthwhile to sort of see what else exists and that I could enjoy just because you know 
I don't need to have 30 sailors and 30 Nakayas. Like I could have like, <laughs> you know, one or two of a bunch of brands and still be happy. And I think that's more satisfying for me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to branching out. <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of, a lot of like searching through the Auroras and the, and the Odo Huts and the, <laughs> the Astroberks. Cause I don't have an Aurora either. I know, um, Matthew loves his Auroras, but yeah, I have two. Actually, I got one right here, the orange guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, so good. Um, which is pen. just such a such a stupid good color on a pen. And, <laughs> man, this one, yeah, the Aurora knocked it out of the park on this one. Um, yeah, they that's that's kind of just when they just just right when they started to open up for for the longest time, they were really adamant about not doing like boutiquey limited editions and or you know colorways. And we were always hounding them to like, come on, just do like a limited edition run. And finally they like got woke from it. And, and, and now like they have one like every other weekend. <laughs> can, can, can I, can I, can I pick on So I love this pen. This is probably, I mean, this is in my top five and in, in, in my small collection um, easily, but there's one thing about this pen that drives me bonkers me and it's a what? weird little design thing. So I don't know if you guys will be able to see this, but the imprint here on Aurora, like the Aurora barrel mm-hmm. imprint, which is such a cool sort of vintagey thing to do, right? Because all the old mm-hmm. vintage pens had that. Is when you look at the pen, when the pen is sitting flat on a table with the clip up, the 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 barrel engraving is upside down. <laughs> and so the like, oh. so if it's like, so if you had it sitting in like a pen rest on your desk like this, you're looking at an upside down. Aurora logo and text and stuff. And so I kept thinking like, oh, well, maybe it's because when you write with the pen, then it's right side up, but it's not even because if you're, when you're writing, unless you're left hand, if you're left handed, I guess it would be, it would be right side up, except when, I mean, you know, you don't really see it, but so, but yeah, it's like a weird little design quirk because the, um, uh, if you put the cap on just right, it is right side up, um, it's like right side up now, but sometimes it's like, side. yeah, sometimes it well, is up on the other side. Thank you for that, Matthew, because I did not notice that until now. And I have like 15 Optimas on my desk when I return and now it's going to bother me. Yeah, you're going to see it. Now so I'm now you're going to have to know, screw yeah. this. I'm not telling another Aurora ever again. <laughs> Just send me all your Auroras because I can tolerate it because they're such a good pen. <laughs> and you love that pen so much. I do. I like I have considered taking it off of your desk a number of times. It's a good pen. And it is, I'm not just saying this because because you're on the show, but we talked about this in our little pre-show phone call that we had a, couple, a week or so ago. This pen really is the best writing experience I've had out of the box of any production pen, hands down. Mm-hmm. Love to hear that. Yeah, like knocked it out of the park. and. I have the Aurora Black Mamba as well, and that's a, that's a great one also. Nice. Um, I need one of those. Yeah. Good luck. I need one of those. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. I really wish I would have bought one, but I just didn't. I've just been like – I've kind of had like purchase paralysis for the last six months or so because I went so crazy in 2020, which is probably fine to like calm down a little bit, but you know. I think anyway, a, lot of so, people, a lot of people bought hard in 2020, especially if you were like – still gainfully employed and couldn't go out to dinner and couldn't, right. you know, yep. go on we vacation, you know, retail therapy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was really bored. Getting those endorphins. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and my pens bring me great joy. So it's not like all lost, but I, yeah, I've just sort of had, per- I guess purchase paralysis is like the best description for it. But anyway, so speaking of favorite pens, Matthew just shared one of his. What's your current favorite pen? And is there a pen you've been carrying a ton lately? Is it different than your favorite? So I guess I, I always, try, I, I don't, I, well, it's hard to answer this question because I feel like there's so many different ways to go about it. Um, mm-hmm. Is the is it is it is it the is it the is it the uh, favorite pen that I sell or is it a favorite pen that I not sell or don't yes. sell? Yes. Either. So actually, Both. what's the what's your favorite pen that you sell and your favorite pen that you don't sell? How about that? All right. I have, I, I, okay. So yeah. So I, I have an answer. I'm just going to answer it with one pen because I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit of a story, which I think is, is, uh, is pretty funny. Um, cool. so I, my first day at Kenro industries, uh, the president of the company is like, all right, sit down, you know, take a look at this website and just like poke around and see like what, what pens are, you know, I had no idea what I was getting myself into I didn't even really honestly know what a fountain pen was at that point. I have to say, um, so I sit down and I kind of like messing around on the website and, I look at a pen that we had, we didn't even have for sale, but it was like on like some archived website. It was called the Omas Las Vegas. Um, it's like a solid gold pen. It has like a solid gold overlay. Like it's like very minimal. It, it kind of like had like sparkle in it before sparkle pens were cool. And it just like, it hit with me for some reason. You know, this pen retailed for like $6,100 or something like that. Um, oh, so let's say fast forward seven years. I'm at the LA Pen Show. A guy who I'd become friendly with, who you guys may or may not know, his name was John Colton. He actually he passed away a few years ago. Um, but he was known to be the Omas guy, and he had this pen for sale on his desk. I was recently engaged. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. I, I never get to see one of these pens. It was only 100 pens ever made. And for that, a limited edition of 100 pieces was really rare. Um, so I was like, wow, it's so, it's so cool that I even get to see one of these. So I pick it up and uh, it happens to be number six of 100. I, throughout my whole life, number six has been my lucky number. Um, so I go upstairs to go to bed and I can't even sleep. Like he, had, he, had, he, was, he knew how much I loved the pen. He like was going to give me a special price on it. And I couldn't, I didn't sleep one wink the whole night. I was like, I'm getting married. I can't do this. My, my fiance will kill me. Like, I don't even own a pen, let alone a pen that he's charging me $3,600 for. Um, and I honestly, at the, at the, I woke up the next morning and I was like, I'm going to, and I went and bought it. And it's literally sitting like right in this, like, I'm going to show you guys. Oh my God. That's so The, the listeners won't get to see it. And I don't know how well you guys will be able to see it either. Whoa, that's this beautiful. Is, what? This pen is amazing. It has like, a, oh. it, I, I'm not like a gaudy guy, but it has a diamond in the top. Wow. Oh, wow. It has actually two diamonds. It's like, in my opinion, the most beautiful Omos that people don't even really know about. You're going to have to send me pics of that, yeah? I'll send you like legit pics. They, you, sometimes Please. you can't, like, for the longest period of time, you couldn't even Google search it. It was so rare. Like, no, like the only person who had it for sale was like nibs.com. Um, huh. And he was selling yeah. for like a crazy price. And Please send me you know, pics. I'm like dying I'm to see it. And I'll put it in the show notes too. Wow, that's so cool. So that's my favorite pen, hands down. Yes. I have nothing else 100%. to say. 100%. <laughs> I don't think that's Just because it, really it means crazy. so much. And like when we were talking about the hunts, like 
that was like such like a a a turning point where I was like, dang it, I'm on, I'm I'm in it now. <laughs> like the first pen you ever saw, like that you ever connected with, yeah, yeah, that's the coolest thing ever. What's I, what what adds to the story, which is like super super amazing, is I kind of like John Colton passed away. A lot of maybe your listeners may know who he is. He passed away like I think his wife passed away 24 hours after him crazy story and his daughter reached out to me to kind of like give her advice on selling his collection Mm. and i was able to like just liaise her on like the best ways to do it and she did it like pen by pen like as an experience of like selling her father's collection and like he had also mapped out like my grandson gets this pen. My other grandson gets this pen. And he was really, like, 90% of his collection was Omos. And, like, she really, like, we we, we still, I think, continue to chat every once in a while because she has a question about a pen. Um, and I kind of just guided her on the right way to do it. You know, I wasn't really involved in any of the sales at all, but more or less just, like, you know, someone's offering me this on eBay. What should I do, Ryan? And I was like, nope, that pen's too valuable. Don't sell it for that. You can get way more for that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of just, like, a way to still connect with him in a way, which... Uh, I will, I will oddly enough remember him for the rest of my life because of the, the pen that I own. Sure. That's cool. That's so neat. <laughs> and I think like for all of us, like, I just think that's so neat. Like we all connect to pens in so many different ways, but the memory of, of who owned the pen and how the pen came to be and where it came from. I mean, that can be a huge part of it. Like, for me, at least, I'm, like, a big story person. So, like, where the pen came from and stuff is emotionally um, a large part for me and makes it hard for me to sell stuff because I, like, remember where it came from, you know? Same. I will I will never be able to sell. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, no. There's no way. That pen is permanently. I'm, gonna, I'm also going to be, like, listen, like, to one of my daughters, this pen is a pen that you are giving to your daughter. Like, you know, like, yeah. I'm going to yeah. make sure like, that that's Don't you dare family. sell yeah. it or I will haunt your yeah. ass for the rest of your life. I have a Sean Newton custom pen that I had made. Uh, my mom passed away. A lot of the people that have listened to the show know this story. But um, my mom passed away back in 2014. And we were kind of going through some of her stuff. And, you know, it's like if it was my dad that had died, you know, I'd get his tools and his fishing rod and like his rifle, you know, whatever. But like, like what does like, you know, what does a mother leave to her son? You know, cause we, you know, we didn't really share any hobbies. And, um, but what I ended up with was when I was a teenager, I had bought my mom this sterling silver necklace, um, for mother's day or something. And, um, I probably should have apologized to her for buying her such an ugly piece of jewelry, but I was a teenager and didn't know any better. Um, I think it was like my first job. And so I take this like sterling silver piece of jewelry and I'm like, you know, I got to figure out what to do with it. So I sent it off to Sean Newton and had him turn uh, two silver rings, sterling silver rings out of it, incorporate them into a pen. My mom loved the Wizard of Oz. And so I bought this, um, I sourced a material that I thought reminded me of the Emerald City had him turn a pen from this material and then the silver rings were made out of her jewelry and were actually a nod to Dorothy's shoes because um, a lot of people don't know this, but Dorothy's shoes were actually originally silver. They weren't ruby red slippers. Um, They were made ruby red for the movie because the movie used Technicolor 
and the creators of the movie wanted to showcase the prowess of Technicolor color. And so they were like, we can't do that with silver. Let's make her shoes red so we can show how vibrant color movies can be. Um, so the so the pen is emerald green. My mom's birthstone was emerald. The emerald it's a nod to the Emerald City, and then the but it's one of those pens that like I don't ever even use it, but I have it and will always have it. Like I'll never I'll never that's not awesome have story. it. It's just you know one of those pens like that just means something. You just keep it forever, whether you use it or not. You know. Yeah. So you put a Monty cool. nib in there though, and you use it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I swapped nibs in and out of it. Um, I I was stupid when I had it made because I had it made as a bulb filler. I don't know why I did that. It was really <laughs> it's a pain. It's a pain to like fill, and so now I just use it basically as an eyedropper, um, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it's fine. It's it's an eyedropper, but um, but yeah. I, uh, so I don't even use it as a as a is a bulb filler anymore. It's still got the bulb on the back of it, but uh, <laughs> I took, I even took the little like breather tube thing out of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, but I mean, we really are just like story people. And I think that that is like the thing I love the most about our community is just the stories that we have, you know, I think that's Absolutely. cool. Um, so telling us more about stories, um, tell us, I know you had a few stories you kind of wanted to talk about, like your experiences touring and working with Montegrappa and Aurora, because they're the same kind of thing. They're these really unique brands and, and they have a lot of stuff that sets them apart and makes them unique as brands as well. And you have the, the unique experience of having worked with them and, and been there. Mm-hmm. So like I, I I mean the each each one of those factories and having been there a few times I, I consider myself really fortunate but there's there's so much history um, you know you you start with a company like Montegrappa and they they've uh, you know dealt with a lot of war in their country and Pisano del Grappa in general is just uh, a, a region that is kind of famous for the wars that took place there I mean you can even go to some of the brick walls and still see bullet holes in uh, in you know a lot of the uh, the buildings there. Um, and Monte Grappa, um, the factory is actually located right down the block from this, uh, this call it like a, 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 a church. Um, and oh, wow. that church is actually where, um, Ernest Hemingway was actually, he lived like literally 400 feet from the Monte Grappa factory, um, when he was stationed there in the war. Um, wow. so there's so many tie-ins to, you know, Monte Grappa and Ernest Hemingway, um, I'm saying literally you could throw a tennis ball from where the Monte Grappa factory is to where Ernest Hemingway's bedroom was. Um, and he was an ambulance driver during, during the war. Um, so, I mean, you, you have, you have that kind of history where they, wow. uh, they have, you know, been around that long, um, you know, go touring their factory, um, seeing how they've taken kind of like an old world, factory and turned it into one of the most cutting edge manufacturers of writing instruments i think around where they yeah you know have a r&d department with the highest level computers um they have uh you know enamel artisans um sterling silver artisans people who can engrave into pens um and still keeping the history and you know working with materials like ebonite and uh celluloid um, I think it's really it's really interesting to to see you know that kind of exist, um, 
And then you have Aurora, on the other hand, where they actually make every part of the pen in their factory. And they're so proud of their heritage um, being a fourth generation family owned company. It's not like this, you know, company wow. has changed hands much. Um, you know, so wow. this is kind of like uh, like a family mission in a way. Um, and watching them, you know, test their own refills, hand cut their own nibs, um, you know, every single part of the pen. I mean, you take a tour of their factory and it feels like it's endless where there's, you know, machines that do this, machines that do that, machines that do plating, machines that, you know, fill bottles of ink. I mean, hmm. anything you want to do, they, they do it there. Um, so it's kind of interesting to have that perspective where, you know, a lot of people, I think, sometimes lose that when, you know, you just buy a pen and it shows up at your door. But really, what goes into making that pen? Um, I think that's interesting. Yeah. I and I think for me, that was always obvious with Montegrappa. I mean, I guess I, I've paid a lot of attention to that brand over the last few years because as much as we, like, kind of jab at the Montegrappa chaos and kind of give it, you know, <laughs> give the brand a lot of heck for, like, their crazy prices and stuff, I actually really like most of the designs of Montegrappa pens. <laughs> and I, I actually think I'm probably um, not too far off of their target uh market believe it or not <laughs> i mean i think the montegrappa montegrappa is one of the awesome best pens i mean super I'm underrated sad that it's not being made anymore mm -hmm. at least not currently so i'd be interested to see yeah. if that comes back in some way um at some point but i mean as much as i had paid attention to montegrappa because you know i love the the show and the artistry and like just the extravagance of their pens but then also like their subtle sophistication of their like more affordable pens you know i right. just love that but i had never really paid attention to aurora and like the more i hear about it and the more i'm like oh my gosh why do i not have one like <laughs> <laughs> because like that's so cool i didn't i didn't know it was four four generations of the same family yeah that's a, that's kind of the the crazy part and they're actually they're actually uh situated um and they have this whole experience they actually have now a, a museum uh attributed to writing which they've actually replaced the whole second tier of the factory with a mu museum that's ex uh all about writing and it's not just aurora it's you know parker pens mont blanc pens faber pens uh the hmm. the uh the um owner of aurora is actually a famous pen collector, uh, Cesare Verona. So his collection is actually on display and he's wow. probably got more not Aurora's than he has Aurora's. Um, hmm. and his family, his family was actually, uh, also one of the first importers of Remington typewriters into Italy. Um, so he even has a little bit of, a little bit of that on display there. Um, it's really cool to kind of see. I need to go. But as you pull up, as you pull up to their factory, they have these like gates that are in the shape of a nib. Um, so it's it's just so cool. Like you, the, awesome. from the minute you pull up there, you're like, oh. I mean, I'm never awesome. gonna be able to tour there, but like, I wish that I could tour there because it sounds <laughs> incredible. I guess I could just like go and like bang on the doors and be like, I love your pets, let me in, and they'd be like, ooh. <laughs> no, they'd let you. They honestly, they'd let you in. I've arranged, you know, I've arranged tours for so many different people over the years. They they're kind of really? happy to show it. Yeah. Huh. That's so neat. Well, if I ever get over there. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do a thing again yeah um that's so neat but I, I mean i think i'm so motivated by this story and i i will always be motivated by this story and i think that that drives a lot of my purchasing like across 
the board. I mean, I collect the things I collect because of the stories, I feel like. So I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you have a favorite brand you don't carry? Ooh. Mm, I'm going to have to say Sailor. I, I have to say, I, I really I really think Sailor Club. Pens. I, I love the whole, like, function over style feeling where I, not to say that they're not beautiful, but I think there's just always like a simplicity and a level of quality affiliated with them. That just is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I bought a sailor. <laughs> yeah. Tell us what sailor. I got the, I got the wicked, the wicked witch. Oh yeah. That that's such a good one. one. Yeah. It's so good. Like, I was, I'm kind of into, into, I know we spoke about this before, but I'm kind of into like the whole like spooky, you know, I'm into like celebration, Day of the Dead, like that sort of yes. stuff, and and I'm also into like, you know, not into witches. I don't know if I'm into witchery. I was always afraid of witches as a child, but like the minute <laughs> that they like tied that in, I was like, oh god, that one's it. okay. Hey, how, how old are how old are your kids, Ryan? How old are your uh, kids? I have a, a a two and a half year old and a one year old. Okay, so they're they're too oh. young. They're too young still, but yeah. when they get a little older. Since you mentioned uh, like Day of the Dead and the stuff, have, have you seen? No, have you seen Coco on Disney? Yeah, yeah. My 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 young my oldest loves Coco. Does, okay. We watch it all the time. Yeah, yeah. my daughter <laughs> loves Coco, and like, I mean, I think it's one of the coolest movies. Uh, it is beautiful for one, but it's just such a cool story. It, yeah, and uh, yeah, so definitely a favorite in this house too. And and, yeah. and Katie has a, a super spooky. spooky sleeve tattoo sleeve i don't know if you can see um yeah i'm all about the spook and like this i have an entire sleeve that's dedicated to like (laughs) spookiness so like this is tarot cards being played Mm -hmm. by like a decapitated witch or like a like dismembered witch hand and like i have like (laughs) spell things and like a halloween jack-o'-lantern and skulls and stuff um there's my spell book that's yes. a, that's the right that right level of spooky for me. Right. Yeah, spooky, <laughs> spooky, and and spooky honestly, in like in like a fun. cool cool spooky. Yeah. Yeah, not like not like, um, not like scary I'm not spooky. Summoning the demons yeah. most of the time, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, now I hadn't have hadn't even considered like that pen in that way, um, but now I'm kind of like hmm. Okay, no. I got to focus. I don't need another sailor right now. What I do need is Noto Hut. And whatever that whatever that brand, that luxury brands carries that I like. Which one do Wal- they got? Waldman? Uh, Waldman? Waldman, yeah. Those, those are That's cool. kind of in that same vein of like, they have some German, similarities between yeah, them. They Very do. German. They absolutely do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Anyway, so do you have any um, hobbies outside of pens? Outside of pens, I mean, yes, absolutely. I, I'm a big sports guy. I played, uh, I was a two-sport college athlete, so I played soccer and lacrosse in college. Wow. wow. Uh, so I, I still, uh, I, I watch soccer quite a bit. Um, Brad Dowdy and I team? joke, uh, so I have two, two favorite teams. One is in the uh, English Premier League, which is uh, Newcastle United. Uh, okay, that's fine. Are you? Do, do you guys? Do you guys know anything about? Uh, English I uh, have historically been a Liverpool fan. Okay, I'll tell you my. Re- I'll tell you my reasoning. Wait, Ryan I'll just signed my, off my suddenly, and I don't know what happened. 
No, that would be more like if he had said Chelsea and I had said, or if he had said um, Manchester and I had said Liverpool, then there would be like a fight. But Newcastle's fine. Okay, so so my my thing is like I when I decided that I really wanted to start following the Premier League, I was like I wanted to pick a team with like real history, but I mm-hmm. wanted to like I wanted to yearn for something to the point where like my team is not going to win. Maybe they win like one trophy in my lifetime, and that really means something to me. Like yeah. Liverpool is like. I mean, come on. What else? I mean, you hey, you we won the Champions for, League. Like, a you long won the time. I know. We just I know, did that. You... We just did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, I so, get your point. You wanted so, so, to root for the underdog. Yeah. So Br- Brad and I banter back quite a bit because he's a Wolves fan. So I think neither of us have trophies in the future coming our way. But no. like when it does come, it's going to be so sweet. I'm gonna run up and down the neighborhood with a flag, like it's gonna be, it's gonna be so worth it. Um, and the other team that I've liked even longer is actually in the in the Italian league is Roma. Um, nice, nice. And they have a they have a serious game tomorrow uh, against Manchester United in Ooh. a serious tournament. So wish me luck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Hey, I mean, if they beat Manchester, I'll be happy. That's it. And the other the other thing I kind of dabble in is. Uh, Ironman triathlon. I guess those are the only two things that are in my okay. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. How many miles is that? Uh, 112 on the bike. Uh, you run a marathon and then you swim 2.4 miles. Have you done one? It's 140, 140.6 miles. Okay. Have, you, have, you done, <laughs> have you actually done one? Yeah, I did finish? five. Actually. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Very cool. Holy! How do you have time for anything else? I don't know. I, well, <laughs> since I've had kids, I haven't raced. That I have to say. Okay. Um, I'm okay. just, I'm just discussing. I'm just negotiating with my wife uh, a potential race. So wow. it's a, it's a get family, it's it. a family affair. Yeah. I'd like to get back into it. Cool. I get that because that's got to be time consuming, especially if you have little kids. Yeah, but you know what? The the thing that I really like about Iron Man is that it's really I mean everyone sits there and says it's like such an an like overwhelming accomplishment and I I agree with that. Um but you see people of all shapes and sizes competing there and it really is I think more of a mental challenge. I mean it's definitely a physical challenge, but it's it becomes a mental challenge also and it becomes a mind over matter situation mm-hmm. and I think that you can you don't have to train that much to do an Ironman. You just have to really, I guess, callous your mind. And that's part of the thing that I really like about it. Um, mm-hmm. is, you know, yeah, you want to be a champion. You want to win the race. Um, you're going to have to train like a beast. I, that, But that's not for me. I'm never going to be the champion. Um, but I'm going to finish a heck of a lot of races and go very far. Uh, because I, I just know that mind over matter is an important thing there. And I, I'm pretty strong that way. So... <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I don't think I could ever do a marathon. <sighs> but I'm... That's, you, you don't know till you've tried. <sighs> you've never seen me run. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's so neat, though. Um, I was just going to say something, and it went away. Oh, I uh, I forced Matthew to watch a Premier League game. Yeah, was that Triangle a couple of years ago? Yeah, so I actually, I, I don't, I don't dislike soccer. I just, I didn't grow up with it, I, and I don't mm-hmm. really, I don't really understand the rules. And and so, like, for me, it's just a little bit hard to follow because I mean, I just grew up watching American sports. I mean, 
baseball, football, basketball. My, my mom loved college basketball. Um, mm-hmm. She was a huge Duke Blue Devils fan. And so, like, we watched Duke basketball growing up. You know, my, we watched um, college football. Um, and so... I had I have some friend had some friends growing up that were into soccer and we I'd watch with them every once in a while and um, I'll tell you what though like one of the most fun games I've ever watched was with a friend of mine here where I live in Sumter he and I got together um, we were down in Charleston and uh, for like a little weekend getaway and we popped into this bar and we watched a um, we watched an Atlanta United game which I know is the mm-hmm. American League and I know a lot, I know a lot of people that really love European soccer kind of scoff at the American League but they are super fun to watch because they're oh yeah they're just it's a little faster paced for some reason maybe because. Some people say, you know, I was talking, I was talking to my buddy Micah about this, and he's like, you know, it's a younger league, so there's, you know, a little more there, you know, and it's an Amer- it's an American league, so they're a little more sort of fast paced with it. I think they're a little more like gung ho, and you know, European soccer tends to be this like pretty precise game. Um, yeah, it's like a whereas, chess match, like, really. Like yeah, a chess, it's like yeah, and so the most exciting so games you, can end up zero zero, and you're like, that's right, the right. best game ever. You know, and if a game ends up one zero or or one one, or, or if I mean, if somebody scores two goals in a European game, that's been like a a huge game. But like, yeah. I mean, I think the game we watched with Atlanta United, they played some team out of like Kentucky or something, and I mean, I think the the final score was like. Four to three or something. I mean, it was yeah. like a crazy yeah. number a of goals because you know it's just <laughs> a lot so. Of goals. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun to watch because the camaraderie around Atlanta United specifically is crazy. How well received that team has been. Like they might have like the most crazy fan base in soccer. Like yeah, they, know, they, I mean they have a really great fan base. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's cool that that exists. Supposedly, yeah. we have a soccer team here in Indy, but they're not MLS. They're whatever the one is below that. Yeah, and and okay. actually, growing up, we have. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, originally. Ryan, you, I don't know if you know that about me, but um, we have know. the Charleston Battery, which is a minor league or kind of soccer mm-hmm. team, and they're actually pretty good. Like they're they're quite good. And so in high school, we we'd watch them play because sometimes they they travel around Charleston and play at like high school stadiums and stuff. And so nice. we, we, I'd watch them play a bunch of times. So I've seen soccer. I don't love soccer, um, but I will watch soccer. I just don't quite understand it. So it's a little hard for me to follow. It's a hard sport for those that don't understand it. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> Even if you understand it, sometimes you're like, wait, what just happened? Like, <laughs> It's a fun, it's yeah. fun though. And, um, it still exists even in the pen community. There were like five of us watching the Premier League like at the Triangle Pen show. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice, nice. That yeah. was a fun time. It resulted miss, in me I getting very punches. drunk. You did. That was the night you bit me. Yeah. Cause I couldn't <laughs> I could I was like, I don't know what's going on with soccer. I'll just sit here and drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not my finest he, moment. I mean, I said, I literally said to him, bite me. Like, he said something sassy, and I was like, bite me. And he walked over and bit me. Like, and then I also beat you with magic for it. with your own death. So. You what, Matthew? I said, I also beat you in magic with your own deck. So, you know, oh, you don't, you, you don't tell, you don't tell that part. Of, you don't tell that part of the story. 
did you really beat me though? Did I you did. beat me? I did. I don't remember that happening, so. <laughs> I did. It happened. Uh, I had such okay. a collection of magic cards back in the day. Did oh, you? I, too. I never, you want to hear the craziest thing? I never played once. I just collected them. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, my cousin got me into it, and I was, like, too, like, OCD to actually play with them. Huh. I just had them. That's how I was with Pokemon. I collected Pokemon cards, but I didn't play the game. Yeah. I play or have played Magic. I have not played Magic in the last two years. But I still have um, my collection just, like, right here. I uh, nice. I negotiated in my divorce to keep a large portion of the Magic card so I could continue <laughs> to actually have decks to play. Um <laughs> which was like a weird thing that was like actually contentious and in, in negotiations but it's on fine. the table yeah <laughs> yeah i was like these i'm keeping these cards and it was like no He's like, I'm i want the 2000 them. leviathan <laughs> um yeah i have i have them they're like right there but i mean that's nice. the thing is like we're all collectors of a lot of things historically in our lives i think fountain pens is just another um kind of collecting that goes with like I think most fountain pen people are just like collectors at heart, you know? Very true. Which is fun. <laughs> I know Matthew is. Yeah, I'm a collector. Right now my collection is cameras. So So bad. Whew, I thought pens were expensive. So <laughs> yeah, cameras. So there's this like there's this camera that I should wish I had never known existed and it's called the X Pan. Um, Hasselblad X-Pan or the Fuji TX1 yeah but really the Hasselblad X-Pan and it shoots um, 35 millimeter film but like in these like super panoramic like wide shots it's like 6 grand I'm never gonna have one no I'm never gonna have one crazy expensive they're super rare so unless I hit the lottery in which case an X-Pan is coming down for me but yeah like (laughs) It's funny you think pens are bad, but then it's like you get into watches or or film and you're like, ugh. <laughs> I know. That's exactly it. <laughs> they push crazy. the threshold. Yeah. But it's like I just need to find like a cheaper hobby. Like I don't know. There's not a Paper cheaper clip hobby. Collector. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Matthew had said gardening and then we got all this feedback and people were like, Gardening is expensive. <laughs> <laughs> course it is right like of course it is everything could be expensive you say stamp collecting and people are like you don't know the stamp is uh <laughs> yeah stamp collecting is actually expensive god gotta love it though anyway um i think we should probably wrap up yeah, yeah this has been fun brian where can the people find you online uh, my instagram is ryan dangers s plural uh, Danger's my middle name. <laughs> I just, uh, that was my, that was my Peloton, my Peloton username. So I, I just threw that into, uh, you can find me on Peloton too at Ryan Dangerous. Let's race. Uh, <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my Instagram. Uh, I'm on the, uh, Estabrook official account and also the Kenro official account pretty regularly as well. Um, you can visit us at kenroindustries.com or also estabrookpens.com. And if you have any questions, you follow up. You can send me an email at contactus at kenroindustries.com. Awesome. awesome. I think that's it. Yeah. Perfect. Where can the people find you, Matthew? Find me at heymatthew.com. 
And then we now have uh, at Love Halide on Instagram, which is our film photography pursuit. Um, and then also the Bent Tines officially has a Facebook or has a an Instagram post with a post, not just an nice. account, but there's a post on there now. <laughs> we finally did it, um, thanks to Katie at the Bent Tines on Instagram. And stay tuned to HeyMatthew.com round about the seventh with that password catnip for the for and the that'll poem. be live at 9 a.m. Eastern. 9 a.m. Eastern on May the seventh. Sweet. And that is pre-orders, pre-sales, just for fans of the podcast. So again, keep the password quiet. Yep. And you can find me online at Inky Cat Writes and InkyCatWrites.com. And like Matthew said, you can find us on Instagram at the Bent Tines and BentTines.com. And thank you so much for listening. Have a good week. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.